Please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we talk about men, women, and the church. We come to a passage here in 1 Corinthians 11 that's about gender in the church and in the home. And just to hear the word gender in our current cultural moment stirs anxiety in us. Because out in the culture, all that we see is confusion, even with the idea of male and female. But for many, it's beyond confusion. It is a very visible and deliberate rebellion against the creator and against his good created order. And so against that backdrop, we enter into 1 Corinthians 11 and we'll, we'll find this very refreshing. Because there's another passage in the Bible that just matter-of-factly talks about God's good design in male and female. This passage just assumes that, which is what is true and right. And we're going to find some clear application for ourselves, though some of the cultural symbols might be different in this text. We're going to find an application for ourselves. How do we relate to the opposite sex in a way that pleases God? In fact, here's the question that's answered by this text. How does God intend for these two very different genders to relate to each other in the church and in the home? So that's what we're going to hit when we get to verse 2. But first, let's take on verse 1. What an amazing verse. We read it last time. Paul wrote this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And we read that last time because it really chiefly goes with what we considered in chapter 10. That call that we should seek to glorify God in everything. And we should live for the good of other believers in everything. And Paul modeled that. And so he called on the Corinthians, listen, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But we're going to see this also has bearing on what now comes in the relationship between men and women in the home, in the church. We should want God's glory and all that. We want to imitate Paul in that. We want to imitate, of course, Christ in that. So before we move into this talk about men and women, first, let's apply that verse. Let's don't run past that. And here's the question I want to ask you. Could you say this to other people in your life? Could you say to other people around you, hey, be imitators of me as I am of Christ? Let's ask, let's ask it this way. Could you invite somebody to, to follow you around for a month? As a, as a way of saying, listen, I want you to watch how I walk. And in following me, you'll be following after Christ. If that idea horrifies you, you think, oh no, there are some things that I do that I wouldn't want anybody to imitate. If, if that's a scary thought, then those are the things from which you need to repent. God just put his finger on some sins. If you don't want people to do that, if you couldn't say that reflects Christ, then by all means, let, let yourself see those and turn from those. Everything about us should be for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Well, now with that, let's move into verse two and let's see what Paul gives us here as the spirit guides him. First of all, there is a divine order. When we think about male and female, there is a divine order. Verse 2, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. So why does Paul even bring this up? Well, because there was a problem in the church at Corinth. You say, again? <laughs> yes. Church at Corinth, so many problems. Remember chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, all right, about the things that you wrote about 
here, I'm going to give you those answers. And so here's one of the problems. Apparently, the women in the church in Corinth had become rebellious. They had become insubordinate. They were harming the harmony of the church by disregarding their husbands, among other things. They were not imitating Paul or imitating Christ and seeking to love others. The women in the church at Corinth, at least a large number of them, were thinking only of their preferences without regard to their husbands and without regard to the church. They were throwing off all gender distinctions and they were throwing off all authority. These women were disrupting worship and tarnishing the church's witness in the community. They were taking their right liberties in Christ, but they were taking them too far. Now, let's remind ourselves here. Christian women in the first century actually were beginning to have it really good because of the, the teachings of Christ and how the church saw women rightly from God's perspective. Uh, they were beginning to understand their worth. Now, you know, that wasn't true of society at large. In the first century, Roman Empire, women were treated largely as property. They were treated as objects for men. But you think about the life and ministry of Jesus. You read the Gospels and you see that Jesus was countercultural and how women were valued. In fact, even his disciples sometimes were surprised. Wait a minute, you're, you're talking to a lady here out in public? And so Jesus saw women worthy of his attention, his teaching, his healing. Of course, he's going to go to the cross and die for women as well. We look in the Gospels, we see among his earliest followers, of course, we have the 12 disciples who are men, but did you notice how in the Gospels, there are women now invited into the inner circle and they're a part of being a part of his ministry. There were women, the first to see him after the resurrection. And then we think about teammates like Aquila and his wife, Priscilla, key in the spread of the gospel in the book of Acts. And so the Corinthian women were correct to see, hey, we're equal to men. We have value alongside the men, absolutely correct. But they were taking it too far and they were obliterating any gender distinction between men and women. They were dishonoring their husbands in the way they were doing this and they were bringing confusion into the church. And so Paul then wants to bring them back to biblical order. And so he gives them these principles that Christ is the head of every man, that the man or the husband is the head of his wife and that, and that the head of Christ is God. So let's talk about that word head a second here. That Greek word for head that we have translated meant source or source of life or origin. But also in this context, it carries the idea of leadership. Even the word authority will show up in verse 10 in this text. And so source and authority is on display here. One scholar said this, he said, it seems that the Corinthian slogan, everything is permissible, had been applied to meetings of the church as well. And the Corinthian women had expressed that principle by throwing off their distinguishing dress. More importantly, they seem to have rejected the concept of subordination within the church and with it, any cultural symbol which might have been attached to it. According to Paul, for a woman to throw off the covering was not an act of liberation, but of degradation. She might as well shave her head, a sign of disgrace. In so doing, she dishonors herself and her spiritual head, her husband. So though the particulars here in Corinth 2,000 years ago, those particulars are a bit different. The principles are very timely and relevant as we'll consider these. 
So just to be honest with you, when I knew that last week, okay, come into 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to have the passage with women's head coverings, I wasn't really excited. And some of you even asked me, hey, I wonder how you're going to handle this passage next week. So all the Bibles, the inspired word of God, all of it equally valid and all that, but it's not all exciting in the same level. We, we know that. We can, hit the, we can hit some of the genealogies and we say, that's still God's word. Well, here we had the head coverings passage, and I, I've taught this before, so I knew where to go with it. But, but let me tell you, in study this week and thinking about our current cultural moment, I thought I cannot think of a more relevant passage than this one. Yes, the cultural symbols are going to be different, but the principles, we need these now more than ever in our culture. And so I am glad that we've come to this passage here. So again, in our culture, we're told that there are many, many different genders or gender identities and more to come. That's what our culture is telling us. But even if you find people who believe in just male and female, you'll find error there because some people will talk about, well, yeah, all right, I believe there are male and female only, but they're just interchangeable. There, God has nothing different in mind for men and women. They can do the exact same things in life, in the church, in the home. But God's word is very, very clear. There are two genders, and they are absolutely equal in dignity and in worth, both men and women created in the image of God. But when God created them, they're different on purpose for his purposes. God has an intended order in, his, in the homes and in his churches. So the differing roles are essentially this, that, that God has given the role of servant leadership to men, and he's given the role of supportive partnership to women. Now that's a countercultural thought, and, and I'm sympathetic on, on the one hand for why oftentimes people would react initially to that idea. Wait a minute, you're saying that, that men are to be leaders in the home and in the church primarily, and and, and, and women are to follow that leadership. That sounds like somebody's being diminished here. And I sympathize with that because we've all seen cultures around the world where women have been demeaned. We've seen cultures where women have been treated as second class. So in our own country years ago, women weren't allowed to vote. That's kind of demeaning. Uh, some cultures like women shouldn't even get educated. You know, why, why would you waste education on them? Some cultures, women aren't allowed to drive and things like that. They're just, they're beneath that. So I'm sympathetic to a person's first reaction, like, wait, wait a second. How can there be different roles and we somehow still be equal? Well, also we've seen men abuse texts like this, where you'll see a man really treating his wife poorly. She is demeaned. He doesn't see her as his equal. He treats her poorly and he'll invoke these biblical passages. Listen, that's not saying the Bible's wrong. That guy's implementing wrong. He's sinning in the way he's mistreating his wife. God's truth stands, his order stands, but that man is sinning and abusing these texts. But also we have problems with texts like this initially, sometimes emotionally, because we've equated submission with inferiority. We hear about somebody following somebody else. Sometimes we react wrong and think, well, that means somebody's inferior. But I love how Paul addresses this in verse three, that submission does not mean inferiority. Verse three, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband. And then this, and the head of Christ is God. So here, this speaking of God, God, the father being the head of Christ, does that mean that Christ, God, the son, is that, is he inferior to the father? Absolutely not. This brings us into the glorious truth of God's triune nature, father, son, and Holy spirit. 
always have existed together in perfect unity. They are co-equal. They share the same essence. So certainly Jesus is not demeaned within the Trinity. So in the Trinity, there is subordination. Jesus is following. We see him in his earthly ministry following the Father, but he's not less. He shares the same essence. I love what one scholar said years ago. I love this, that the subordination of the Son to the Father is functional and not essential. It's not, he doesn't have a lesser essence. He doesn't have a lesser nature that he would follow the Father. This was a function. And likewise, we can apply into our homes absolute equality of men and women. Again, go back to Genesis. He created them in his image. Male and female, he created them. So women, a woman is not to be demeaned or diminished. We can go to places like Philippians 2 to get, see Jesus as the example Though he, he, he laid things aside to come to earth, to become a man. But then he takes up his name that's above every name, right? God has highly exalted him. So with men and women, both are equal. But we recognize that sometimes in a relationship, certainly in the life of the church, there are women who are more spiritual than some of the men. There are women who can be more gifted than some of the men. There are women who are more intelligent than some of the men. It's not a matter of worth and who does things well, but there are roles. Again, we talk about the home. A husband is to be a loving spiritual leader in his home. He is, and the wife is to be a supportive, cherished partner in the home. So here's another area of life where we acknowledge this is, this is counterculture, not hearing this anywhere else. But once again, we have to let the word of God be our authority. Otherwise, we're like the, the world around us in gender confusion of another kind. We want to embrace God's order, God's good design. But again, why did Paul bring this up? Well, verses 4 through 7, he starts to get into the particulars of the problem. Verse 4, every man who prays or prophesied with his, prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her, ha let her cover her head. Verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Again, the issue is that there were women in the Corinthian church who were asserting themselves in public worship in disruptive ways. They were breaking all the cultural norms of that time and by doing that, they were, they were breaking all of the biblical norms as well. The women were speaking out in worship in ways that were disruptive. They were bringing shame to their husbands. They were bringing chaos into the church. They weren't wearing, so we get to something that's a little different than our culture, but they weren't wearing that customary head covering. So some scholars look at this and they say, well, maybe it was just a hairstyle. So a braided hair that was put up on the head was one way that women would in those times show that they were a married woman. Their hairstyle would give that signal. Our culture, there is not a married hairstyle. Likewise, head covering. We don't, we don't even do head coverings. And if a woman were to think, well, I'm going to wear one next week, we wouldn't know what you mean by it. Because in our culture, it doesn't mean that. But first century Corinth, these things mattered. You immediately knew the relationship this woman had and was she single, was she married, and how was she with her husband by these types of things, hairstyle, head covering. The Corinthian women here intentionally were refusing to wear what Paul calls in verse 10, a symbol of authority. So that's what that meant in the culture. I love the wordplay here in verse five. They were dishonoring their heads, the women. And that's two meanings of that. They're dishonoring their physical head 
and they're dishonoring those who are married, their, their husbands, who was put in that position of head there for them. So by letting their hair down, that might have been part of it, and by not wearing this head covering that symbolized authority, Paul says you're actually taking on the appearance of the temple prostitutes in the area. That's why he talks about, you might as well go ahead and just shave your heads, which was something that you would see among them. So this is very disgraceful what they're doing. Again, for us, application is not a certain hat or a hairstyle. What, what do we do that signifies marriage and the relationship we have in our culture where we wear rings, we, we take on last names, we might dress maybe more modestly as, as a married person, and we certainly have a certain attitude as a person who is committed to another. But the principle here of respecting God's order remains. So let's understand together that God still intends for a husband to love and to lead his family. And God still intends for a wife to respect and support her husband. And in the life of the church, God still expects that there would be scripturally qualified men serving in the primary leadership roles of the church. We can go to places like 1 Timothy and Titus and see the, the scriptural qualifications for pastors and deacons. So for a moment of application here, men and women, let's just take this to heart. Here, we've got more to talk about. But if you think of yourself, first of all, if you're a woman and you're married, ask this question. Are there ways in which I'm, I'm relating to my husband where I'm trying to dominate him? Are, are there ways in which I'm demeaning my husband by the way I relate to him in public and even in the way I relate to him in private? Then husbands, you can ask this question. What, what can I do to better serve and honor my wife? Here, here's a good question. What can I do to make it easier for my wife to want to follow me? There are plenty of women I think who would say, I want my husband to step up and love like Jesus in our home, to guide us, to set the spiritual temperature of our home. I wish he would do that. There are probably some other women going, man, I wish he would lead like Jesus. He's trying to lead, but he's so abrasive. He's so derogatory that I wish he would respect and love me and lead me like Jesus does. Recently, I had the privilege of leading a couple through premarital, premarital counseling. And the very first session, we talked about Ephesians 5. It's one of the places you go to see what's a biblical family look like. Ephesians 5, get in chapter 6, even how do you relate to children? But Ephesians 5, I, I, I read it to the couple. They, they looked along in the scriptures. And, and I really wondered what the, the bride-to-be, I wonder what her reaction was going to be. Doesn't come from a Christian background. This was going to be the first time hearing this text and seeing what God says about male loving leadership like Christ, but, but also that responsibility to follow her husband, respect her husband. I thought, I don't know how that's going to land. So I was curious. And so after we looked at that passage together, I said, so, uh, so what do you think of that? And she said this, she said, I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Love the idea of what God has put here, a loving spiritual leader in the home that she could follow. I was very encouraged by her response to God's word there. Well, before we move on to more application here, Paul continues to build the biblical basis for God's order in the home and in the church. How about verse eight now? For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. I'm going to come back to because of the angels in a moment. Verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. 
Did you notice that Paul points back to creation now to make the case how we are two distinct genders and we are to relate according to God's pattern here. In fact, he talks about the creation sequence here. So we, we might have thought that, well, God made man and woman and there was really no meaning in the order in which he created them. But Paul says, no, there's meaning in the order that God had something in mind when he created the man first. That's verse eight. He talks about that. And so he made the man first and from his side, then he made a woman. So woman is made from man and we see that she's made for his sake. She's, she was made to help him. We go back to Genesis and we have those words like a, she's a suitable helper for him. Now that word helper is not to be read der, in a derogatory way. In fact, scholars would tell us that that word helper is most often in the Bible referring to God. So that word helper is not a demeaning. So in other words, a husband shouldn't think, well, my wife is just my sidekick. She's just a helper. She's like my assistant, but all, it's all about me and I just live my life. She's just kind of tagging along. No, that's not the biblical picture. Both man and woman created in the image of God. She's a suitable helper. They are partners taking on life together, the challenges together, and the pursuit of glorifying God together. Notice it's also that there's mutuality here. That's what Paul talks about in verses 11 and 12. Hear it again. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So you hear that we are supposed to have a mutual respect for one another. We're not independent of each other. We're not to be warring against each other. We are to be glorifying God together, taking the gospel to the nations together. And so honoring one another, embracing God's divine order of leadership and following him. So here's another issue where, where we have the principle that comes into play. Remember where Paul said in the previous chapters where he, he dealt with the meat sacrifice to idols. And he affirmed the people who said, hey, it's just meat. It's okay to eat it. But, remember he said, it's just meat, but if eating that meat causes my brother to stumble, then I'll never eat meat again. I, I have to think about the good of the other person, even in these areas where I have liberty. And here's another one. The women in Corinth could be saying, listen, it's just a cloth on my head. It's just a hairstyle that I have. It's not important. Paul would say, but if you're disgracing your husband in what you're doing, if you're disrupting the fellowship of the church and what you're doing, now it becomes more than just a cloth, just like it's more than just meat when you have disregard for other people. Then we come to that interesting verse here, because of the angels. Paul said, this, is, this matters because of the angels. Think, well, how so? Scholars have scratched their heads at that line for many, many years. But it appears the best explanation for what Paul must have had in mind is, is because the angels are present in our worship. And so we're, we're of course, rightly 100% focused on Christ and glorifying him here, but also that acknowledgement, once again, that angels are also present and they would be shocked by the conduct of the women acting like this. In fact, one scholar said it this way, these angels would be shocked at the conduct of the women since the angels themselves veiled their faces before God. Remember Isaiah chapter six, verse two. So to have people being so cavalier and disruptive in worship would, would even shock the sensibilities of angels. So let's just talk about this a moment. We're talking about leadership and, and love and respect and following and all that. We just want to remind ourselves that this is not a text as there's no text in the Bible that would lead to the sin of male chauvinism. So we're not to be sexist or misogynistic. We're not to demean women. Again, this passage doesn't teach this. This is for the benefit of both men and women that we might experience peace and harmony and order. 
Some of you don't know me yet. You might be new to the church. You think, man, he's, he's really talking about all this. But I, let me remind you that I've been married for 36 years and to, to joy and my precious wife. There's never been a moment in the 36 years where I thought I was better than her. Not a moment. In fact, when we were dating, Joy was ahead of me spiritually. We started dating. I knew spiritually I'm out of my league. Well, looks too, out of my league. But I thought spiritually out of my league. Joy, I remember one time Joy said when we were talking to the Lord and everything, she said, you know, of course, God is sovereign. And I went, yes, he is. But I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. I had to go back to my freshman dorm and look up what sovereign mean. Well, yes, that is true. But I said, so from the very beginning, and I'm better than she is. But biblically, I thought, okay, I, got a, I have a role to play. I've been designed by God. If we're in this relationship. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader, but we're partners. 36 years, never been a moment where I've ever thought I'm better. But I'll also, also remind you, I have three daughters. And uh, the youngest is 18. So I've raised them all along. Never, never thinking I'm better than my daughters. I don't necessarily think I'm smarter or anything like that. I don't even think God could use me greater than he could use them. I don't know what God's going to do with them in their life. They, they could be used far greater than God's going to use me in, in the roles that he has for them. I have a granddaughter. And so I wouldn't want anybody treating them like they're inferior or less than. But, but all along in raising our family, we point to this biblical pattern, this beautiful pattern. We're different by God's design. And we, we play these roles trusting in God and everybody should be winning as we live this out. Then we come to verses 13 through 16, and we see the, the reasonable basis for the symbol of authority. Again, this is where it looks different in the implementation in first century Corinth from here, but the principles are the same. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for, for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. And so here we have these interesting words here. Doesn't even nature teach you this? And I think what Paul is saying here, this is just obvious. In every culture, it has been obvious who the men were and who the women were. First century Corinth and many other cultures, typically the women would have longer hair, the men would have shorter hair, just obvious. I think the point is it should be obvious who the men are, who the women are, and we don't rebel against those gender differences here. So he's speaking really of how society puts it out there, but the principle is a bedrock and it's the same. Paul says, you can't be contentious on this. There's no other way you can do it. All the churches understand that. So again, what is our application from this? Well, it doesn't mean that next Sunday I'm expecting all the women to come in wearing hats or scarves and all that. That would be interesting because if somebody did, uh, we, we, we would, again, not think necessarily, well, wow, she's got a sign of authority on her head. We, we don't think of hats having a symbol of authority. We might think, wow, she's trying to get showy with, uh, with that big hat. Or, or I've seen some, some very uh, interesting denominations in the past where the women would stack their hair up as high as they could get it. We used to call those a beehive hairdo. And we'd say, no, that's not, that's not our application. It, would, it wouldn't be a symbol of authority in our culture. And so nevertheless, though, we embrace, we embrace this teaching. So let's talk about application before we go. So just to our women, first of all, listen, know that God does see you as completely equal to men. You already know that, but I'm just reminding you the scripture indeed teaches that men and women created in the image of God. And for our ladies, I would say appreciate God's divine order. If you're a single woman and you desire to marry, and if a proposal comes to you, then you want to assess this. Uh, I, I will step into this marriage following this pattern. 
And this leads to a very practical question. Could I see myself following this man? <clears throat> Do I want him to be a spiritual leader in our family? I'm going to be a, a full-on partner here, but could I follow the leadership of this man? And that'll help determine whether you give a yes or a no in that situation. And in public worship and at home, you want to bring honor to your husband. Nothing that would disgrace him in that. Then men, of course, for us, very obvious, we are to be servant leaders like Christ demonstrated. If a man takes this leadership and it's somehow an ego trip for him, he's sinning against his wife. Remember, Jesus said this, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, Ephesians 5 is to He's a love his wife like Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. Remember, Peter warned men, if you don't treat your wife well, your prayers are going to be hindered. I love how God looks out for the wives. And so you cannot be an abusive husband and invoke these passages. So concerning dress, is there any application here concerning dress? Maybe a little for us. First of all, we wouldn't want to dress in any way that would be a distraction to other people in worship. I think that's a principle coming out of here as the Corinthian women just uh, didn't care. I don't think we'd want to dress in a way that would somehow discourage other people, whatever that might look like. We certainly don't want to dress in a way that would degrade ourselves or degrade other people in worship. But certainly, we wouldn't want to dress anywhere that blurs the lines of gender. In culture to culture, that's going to look differently. In India and other parts of the world, in different African nations, how men dress, women's dress, is going to be different. But in our culture, we think, I don't, I don't want to dress in a way that intentionally brings about a confusion where people don't know whether I'm a man or a woman. We wouldn't want to do that. And people do that in our culture. They don't know Jesus. We, we don't expect them to have this sorted out yet. They don't know Christ. And so some people are intentionally in our day and just kind of trying to blur it. There's, there's no distinction. And I think very clearly here, that's called out of order. We as God's people obviously can't do that. We're going to try to help those who do that come to know Jesus and, and follow after him fully. Well, here's where I think we can conclude all of this. It's just another reminder that you and I want to submit everything about ourselves to the Lord, that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to our maker who knew how he was making us, and we can embrace his good design, his good purposes. And it's a reminder that all of us should submit everything to him. You, you might be here today, and you've lived your whole life under your own authority. You've been doing everything yourself, and in a thousand ways, you have asserted your independence from God. Today, would you turn from that? I believe that's why God brought you here, that you would turn from following your own thinking and your ways. And the Bible calls that repentance, where you change your mind about the direction you're going. And instead of the direction you're going, would you turn and put your faith in Jesus? Jesus, the perfect one, the one who left heaven to rescue you from your sin, to rescue you from the judgment to come, Jesus, who lived perfectly like, in, like none of us ever did. And he went to the cross and he, he poured out his blood for us on a cross to atone for all your sins. And Jesus was raised from the dead. What love, what power. Would you turn and put all of your faith in Jesus today and then in submission say, and I'll follow you in everything. I'll follow you anywhere, anytime. Let's pray. Father, we do acknowledge you as our maker and thank you for your good design. We'll, we'll embrace what you show us here. Lord Jesus, we've been singing of you today, once again, celebrating that you're our savior. And we know you're the only savior. And your death on the cross and resurrection, absolutely necessary that our sins would be atoned for. And Lord, I pray for friends who are hearing that news today, understanding it for the first time. I pray that they'll leave their sin and trust in you for eternal life. Lord, be the Lord of all of our lives in every area of our lives. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.